Shabbat Shalom. My name is Noel. This is The Unexpected Cosmology. Uh, hopefully my internet is good for you guys tonight. It seems a little bit slow on my end, but, you know, let me know in the comment section if it's not working for you. It's great to see everybody here. Uh, you know, I show up and I get ready to go live and everyone's already commenting, saying Shabbat Shalom. That's my favorite thing every week when I see the community get together and doing that. And uh, you, you can see here I put Rebecca's... Um, comment in here. Uh, shalom, everybody. Hope other people see this video by hitting the like button or sharing it. It's an algorithm thingy. So very good advice, Rebecca. Uh, just uh, let's see here. Throwing a couple other comments before we get going. Longest minute of my day by Polly Hart. So he's referring to like one minute ago. It was like 8.59 or so. And uh, <laughs> I love you, Polly. Polly is a uh, He's become a staple in my life. He was probably one of the first couple flat earthists uh, I ever met way back in the day. And uh, uh, yeah, so I love having Polly in my life. I always need more Polly. And uh, let's get started. So we are in, can you believe it, week nine of Bereshith, of the uh, Paleo Hebrew, our Torah portions. Of course, we're mixing a lot of other content into this. And I was telling my my group before we got started. You know, I invite everybody every week. You come over to Discord, uh, open mic nights. Uh, you know, if you if you want to sing or dance for us, whatever, recite a poem. I don't know, but we go in there and we talk about just shoot the breeze, get to know everybody. And I was confessing to the group that uh, you know the the last the last two or three Torah portions of Genesis are not my favorite. I mean, in the greater scope of the book. And, you know, these these tour portions, they come at you like just like a wave. They hit you every week. You know, they're just one after the next. You have to, you know, get your keep your head above the water and get through them. And um, and as I was studying it this week, I'm like, man, I was just pulling up some wild stuff. And really, I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about tonight. So as always, I need to get right to it. Um, so just quickly, just a reminder. Next week, uh, I, well, I want to thank everybody for making this a part of your tradition and your family. I, I, it's so wonderful to hear that, you know, families sit around and they listen to these. And uh, if you're capable, if you're able, I know a lot of people are busy on Friday nights, but if you want to come by my Discord group, there's a link under every video and uh, be sure to be there. It would be, what, 7 p.m. Eastern time, two hour block. Come in, say hi to us, tell us about yourself. And I'd love to hear from you. And, you know, I'd love to answer any questions you might have. Uh, I'll try the best I can. All right. Paleo Bereshith. Uh, we are, of course, reading through chapter 37, verse 1 through 4023 this week. Continuance of the history of Yaakov and of Yosef. And, of course, Yosef would be uh, Yayoasaf, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, history of Yaakov and Yosef. Yaakov continued to reside. Now, right there, I put a little brackets. That's not paleo. Uh, that's that's not Pamela's translation. I added that in uh, because she. It's interesting. She put continued to reside. A lot of translations will say settled, and it's it's just interesting because the beginning of this, many of these Torah portions, if you've noticed, the beginning sentence and the end sentence kind of contrast each other. And we're watching here how Yaakov is trying to settle into the land. He's trying to make this his home. And we're going to see it takes a drastic turn and the 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 slow crawl through Exodus, uh, through, I'm sorry, through Egypt, through Mithraim and their slavery that is about to begin. 
And last week, I couldn't even read to you. There wasn't enough time to read all the chapters in Jasher where they're just like, it's several chapters, and they're just going to war. The, the sons of Yaakov, the 12 sons, actually it, it worked out to the 10 sons of Yaakov because Yosef and Benjamin uh, did not go to war with any uh, nations. And that actually plays into the narrative tonight. But, you know, they're just wiping out these people coming to wipe them out. And and they just want to make a home here, right? And they're having a really difficult time to, doing it. So Yaakov continued to reside in the land of his father's wanderings in the land of Canaan. These are the progeny of Yaakov. Yosef, a lad of 17 years, was attending to the sheep with his brothers. The young men who were the sons of Balahaha and sons of Zalapaha, uh, two of his father's women. And those would be, of course, the, the, uh, the maidens, servants to Leah and Rachel. And Yosef reported their bad conduct to their father. Oh, Yosef, he has so much to learn. Yasharel also loved Yosef more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. So he made him a tunic extending to his wrists and ankles. Now, I'm going to have commentary on Yosef's uh, reports, his his evil reports that he gives about his brothers. But also here you can see that uh, Pamela, interestingly enough, did not translate this uh, to a coat of many colors. And... I'm going to be showing you some references to that as well. And at first, I'm like, huh, that's interesting because it really stood out to me. I don't always catch all the changes uh, that Pamela makes with the, with the paleo translation. This one really stood out to me. And as I was looking at it closer, I'm like, actually, no, she, she's got this probably right. Uh, because a lot of translators, they're, they almost they, they put in a coat of many colors. Like at this point, it's like a staple, right? It, it was a Broadway play. <laughs> I think an Andrew Lloyd Webber Broadway play. And people expect to see the code of they want to see it there but that may be a mistranslation uh that it's it's actually like a coat that like it's like covering his whole body you know it's extending to his wrist it's just this huge coat it's like a fl uh, flowing coat not necessarily multicolored and his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers so they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak to him with shalom sounds like a a lot of uh, sibling uh, relationships and i have to say you know this is this is one of those examples that uh, of you know polygyny 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 like you know when you have when you got a brother from another mother i mean it's like oh man i can't imagine for all the people out there that want to try to make that work Yosef, however dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers and they hated him the more for it this is just not going in a good direction tonight. Or he said, listen now to the dream that I dreamed. It just keeps going south. We were binding sheaves in the middle of a field when my sheaf arose and stood up and your sheaves turned and bowed to my sheaf. I mean, I've, I have two brothers. I've got two sons. I, <laughs> I'm sure many of you have multiple brothers. Like you could see where this would go. I mean, you're, you're telling this to your, to your siblings. But they replied to their brother, reigning, will you reign? And ruling, will, would you rule over us? A lot of people would uh, have, I've seen people make the arguments that they're actually mistranslating this dream. So they hated him the more because of his dream and his talk. Then he dreamed another dream and related it to his brothers. 
not learning his lesson at all and said, I have dreamed another dream. Oh, gee, Joseph, tell us about it. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars came and did homage to me. He told it to his father and to his brothers. And his father reproved him and said, what is this dream which you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers come and bow down to the ground to you? So now it's like, now it's like hitting, you know, Yaakov. He's like, all right, look, look. When it was like you and your brothers, that's one thing. And now you're bringing, uh, your bring me to this and it's kind of interesting too i never picked up on this till this week uh he said um shall i and your mother his mother is dead guys so he's talking about yosef's mother in present tense i i i don't think he's meaning leah here i mean leah could have taken over as his mother but i kind of take that as uh rebecca um i'm sorry rachel not rebecca but uh rachel um and um so that's kind of interesting She's dead, and he's speaking about her as bowing down to him. Shall we come and bow down to the ground to you? So his brothers envied him, but his father remembered the events. That right there kind of reminds me of um, a Mary, a Miriam, the Virgin Miriam, when you know she stored up all these things in her heart. She considered these things that were happening. It didn't make sense to her at the time. Uh, seemed counterproductive or intuitive. Uh, but she, you know, thought about them as the years rolled on. And you see that with Yaakov as well. So a few notes here. Who was Yaakov's firstborn? This this really hit me this week. I was thinking about this. Uh, and we see right here in Bereshit 37, remember a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, well, this is this week, right? So Yashrael also loved Yosef more than all his children. Then we read right here in Bereshit chapter 29. So this would be from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the eldest was Leah, and the name of the youngest was Rachel. But the eyes of Leah were tender, and those of Rachel perfect in form, and she was a vision to look upon. And Yaakov loved Rachel. So he replied, I will serve you seven years for your youngest daughter, Rachel. Laban then replied, good, she shall be yours. I will give her for a woman after you have stayed with me. So Yaakov waited for Rachel seven years, but they were to him like a single day because of the love he had for her. Now, Everything was in reverse order. You guys know how this went down. Yaakov ended up marrying Leah first. Uh, I think he waited seven or 10 days or something like that. He was able to marry Rachel, but, uh, but still had to work another seven years, 14 years in all. And then there was years beyond that. Uh, and so, you know, the two wives are competing for children, and Leah keeps having children. And then, you know, and pretty soon when Leah kind of dries up, you know, the spigot dries up, uh, they start giving their their um their uh, their, i can't even think their maidens right and so they're all having children and yosef is one of the last to come along of course benjamin is the last uh we saw that they uh, she died in childbirth benjamin but the question i was asking myself in yaakov's eyes was yosef the firstborn it was through the wife he loved right and it was it was like a reverse order. I know Reuben was the first, and you have you know, Reuben and Levi, but it's almost like he's taking the place of the first. Then we saw here the coat many colors. I, I pointed this out, um, and um, you see, uh, I looked up. This is the Berean Bible right here, Genesis thirty-seven three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because if Joseph had been born to him in his old age, we made him a robe of many colors. And you go down the list, they all say many colors. Well, this interest, interestingly uh, had a note here 
And it said, possibly a robe with long sleeves. And they say the same thing in verses 23 and 32. So there, the, the translator here is saying, look, you know, I'm putting in many colors because that's what you want to hear. But we're thinking that's not what it is. So um, good, good uh, catch with that. Yeah, that was good. Um, um, so, all right, let's talk about Yosef uh, and um, Matthew 18, the, the tough discussion uh, that many of us will have to have in our lifetime. It said, and Yosef reported their bad conduct to their father. Now, now Yosef is given really bad rap for this, and I don't know if he should or shouldn't. He is, after all, being sent by his father to, you know, to report on his brothers, and he's not bringing back the best reports. And we're going to see uh, why that is actually justified tonight in a little bit. But this came to mind, Matthew 18. I mean, in reality, um, he should have, we don't know if he did or didn't, all right? So I don't know if he should have a bad rap or not. I, I, I really don't know. But he should have spoken to his brothers first, all right? So this is what he says. This is coming from the words of Messiah. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. And, you know, I think probably he did. We're going to see later on. Like, he's, like, weeping and crying, and he's he's doing a Matthew 18, right? But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the assembly. But if he refuses even to hear the assembly, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Um, <laughs> totally dissing those tax collectors there. Tax collectors are on level with heathens, right? Uh, and in my entire life, and so far in my ministry of the unexpected cosmology, unexpected cosmology, like the eight years or something I've been in this now, I've only had to do a Matthew 18 once. Once. And it was tough. It was really hard. Some of you know exactly what I'm referring to, where I had to take, I was actually asked by another very large YouTube ministry, the leader of that ministry, to accompany him to go to someone privately and uh, have this discussion. And I was trying to go so by the book with Matthew 18 that after our private meeting um, kind of revealed our deepest worst fears of the situation, I actually still didn't come back and receive it to the congregation. I'm just like, I'm, ooh, we're not even going there. We're just going to let this reveal itself. Uh, so this is really tough. It's really e it's much easier to go and, you know, go to people like, you know, can you believe what that guy said over there and, you know, spread it to the community. And um, So just remember that here when we give a evil reports about other people and their doings. Um. This, oh, this this came to my mind as well as I was reflecting, and I, I admit, made the mention that sometimes these dreams might be misinterpreted. And something I would like to do, I'm not going to do tonight, I have too much to recover, is go through like like the hundred. There's like a list of like a hundred things, ways that Yosef mirrors Mashiach. I mean, he is a clear Messiah prototype. And never more in Philippians 2.5 with what Paul says, uh, you know, I, I always have to throw in one Paul quote every week. Just I get angry letters from the anti-Paul crowd that I quote from him too much. So uh, I think like once a week is too much. Uh, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Yusha Hamashiach, who being in the form of Elohim, did not consider it robbery to be equal with Elohim, but made himself no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And this is one of the things that, you know, when the, the stars and the sun and the moon and everyone is bowing down to Yosef in this dream, some people have said that uh, that the dream is misinterpreted, that it really shouldn't be about Yosef, it should be about Messiah. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that the dream is about uh, Yosef. I think that they are bowing down to him. Uh, and But the, the thing is, is that in this, with the sheath and the bowing down, what we're going to see over the next few weeks, particularly this week and the next week, is a Yosef who literally, it's not, it's not like, it's, it's not the worldly type of worship, right? Of just, you know, being worried. He is actually humbling himself to the point where he is like serving his, his being um, of use to the nations is through his service to them. Uh, very much like we see with Messiah in his ministry. All right, so let's see what the same section has to say in the Asher chapter 41. And at the revolution of the year, the sons of Yaakov journeyed from Shechem and they came to Hebron to their father Yitzhak and they dwelt there. But their flocks and herds they fed daily in Shechem. For there was there in those days good pasture, and Yaakov and his sons and all their household dwelt in the valley of Hebron. I find this fascinating that um, Yasher, like I said, has just gone through chapter after chapter where all these wars happen. They finally settle down, and where do they go? But to Shechem, all right? Shechem is the site where Dinah was uh, taken by the, that, you know, that snooty French villain who raped her and tried to make her his uh, woman. And they went in and they circumcised everyone. And while they're peeling over in the fetal position in pain, they went in and did them all in. Uh, of course, uh, Yehuda and uh, Levi. Um, so uh, it's interesting that we see them back at Shechem and now the table is turned and now it, it's like they were the, the, the 12 sons or you say the 10 sons were so in love, like just so angry Shechem did to their sister now we're back at Shechem again and they're going to do we could argue what was worse I mean they were going to murder their brother we know they're going to murder their brother and they decided slavery and blood wouldn't be on their hands and it all happened in the same place. It was in those days in that year being the 106th year of the life of Yaakov and the 10th year of Yaakov's coming from Aram that Leah, the wife of Yaakov, died. She was 51 years old when she died in Hebron. And Yaakov and his sons buried her in the cave. So that's interesting. I don't know if when uh, Yaakov made that quip about myself and your mother, was Leah even alive at that point? You don't really know. Of course, you guys know that Leah wasn't his actual mother. And Yaakov and his sons buried her in the cave, the field of Machpelah, which is in Hebron, which Abraham had bought from the children of Heth for the possession of a burial place. So interesting that uh, Rachel uh, did not end up in that, um, in that tomb. And the sons of Yaakov dwelt with their father in the valley of Hebron, and all the inhabitants of the land knew their strength and their fame went throughout the land. And Yosef, the son of Yaakov, and his brother uh, Benjamin, the sons of Rachel, the wife of Yaakov, were yet young in those days and did not go out with their brother during their battles in all the cities of the Amorites. So think about this. This is what's being set up here as to why the hostility from the older brother, the older brothers. The older brothers just went out and wiped, wiped out like a dozen cities. 
cities, with fortresses, hundreds, thousands of people, all right? Toppled queens, thrones. These were like powerful dudes. And then you got your little snooty brother from another mother coming along, and he's got a baby brother, Benjamin. Either one of them has taken part of these battles. It's like, oh, that, that's great and all. You did that, by the way, you can serve me. You're going to you know, bow down to me. You can see where these guys are like, what? You know, like, what are you, what are you tripping over? And when Yosef saw the strength of his brethren and their greatness, he praised them and extolled them, but he ranked himself greater than them. Uh, of course, he's a young, you know he's a young kid, right? So you know some things you know you need to keep to yourself. And extolled himself above them. And Yaakov, his father, also loved him more than any of his sons, for he was a son of his old age. And through his love toward him, he made him a coat of colors. Now, you know. Keep in mind, Yasher also comes from the Masoretic Hebrew. So I would love to uh, look at a translation. And, you know, the translator probably just put many colors here, but it could be exactly as uh, Pamela translated in the Paleo. And when Yosef saw that his father loved him more than his brethren, he continued to exalt himself above his brethren. Because that's exactly what siblings do. They work their, you know, their parents against their brothers. And he, he continued to exalt himself above his brethren, and he brought unto his father evil reports concerning them. And so you see right here that, I mean, if I'm reading this right, we can argue, I guess, whether Yosef's motivations are good here. Um, I mean, he just says that he saw that his father loved him more than him, so he continues to exalt himself above his brethren. Not only that, bring evil reports. And this is what, you know, anyone who has children, you know, this is what they do. They they come to you all the time. They tattletale on their brothers and sisters all the time. Them in trouble to virtue, to virtue signal their own worth, right? Why they're to be praised. See, it's the same thing with Yosef. Now, this is what one of the things um, I love about the Bible. It's not cookie cutter, right? You, you've got this great guy. Yosef is one of the greatest uh, humble servants of the Bible, and yet he gets him growing up to do it. And he had to be taken into a very dark territory to prove his worth. Yosef uh, was 17 years old, okay, and he was still magnifying himself above his brethren and thought of raising himself above them. At that time, he dreamed a dream. Let's see, I don't know if I want to go through all this again. Uh, old territory. Okay, yeah, that's all I wanted to come with it. All right, let's get back into Paleo Bereshia, chapter 37, 12 through 36. His brothers afterwards, I'm just checking to make sure. Um, okay, so I'm just checking to see if it's my connection, but it looks like it's one person's connection. His brothers afterwards went to pasture their sheep and checked. And yeah, so again, they're setting up just like, you know, this the whole situation died. It's, you know, his own, the family doing it to themselves. And the Asherah said to Yosef, are your brothers not feeding the sheep in Shechem? Go, I will send you to them. And he replied, I am ready. Then he can, that might be too sick, I don't know. Then he continued, go then and see how your brothers are, how the sheep are, and send me word. They had gone, however, from the vale of Chabaruan and removed, uh, removed to Shechem. They, they left Shechem. And a man met him foster chief in the field and asked him, what are you seeking? And he answered, I am seeking my brothers. Tell me where I can find them. So the man answered, 
can't march from here, for I heard them say, let us go to the two wells. Now, I added their little note, uh, Dothan. And basically, any translation you read is going to say Dothan. And I love that, how, uh, how Pamela basically put the two wells. It's like the place of the two wells. Yosef consequently went after his brothers and found them at the two wells at Dothan. When they saw him in the distance and before he approached them, each said to his brother, here is my Don, the dreamer. There he comes. So, you know, really sarcastic. They got just hatred in their heart. They're just like, oh, great. He's going to come. He's going to spy on us. He's going to send bad report back to his father. We're going to hear about it. And we're going to have to sit around the family table with, while he's in his coats and being praised and the head of the table, all this kind of stuff. So now let us go and murder him. All oh, that escalated really quickly. It's amazing how cyclical Peter the Bible is. Like, you know, starting with Cain and Abel and, you know, going to uh, Yitzhak and, um, and Ishmael to Yaakov and Esau. And now we got more murder amongst the brothers. So let's go and murder him and fling him into one of these wells. We will say a wild beast caught him. Then, we'll, then we will see what will come in his dreams. But Reuben, or Ra, uh, if I can pronounce this, Ra'aban, say Reuben, but Reuben heard it and wished to deliver him from their hand. So he said, let us not destroy his life. Reuben also said to them, let us not shed his blood. Let us fling him into this dry well. For he was desirous that they should not stab him so that he might rescue him from the hands to return him to his father. So Reuben had, you know, uh, he had a, I, I, th I think Ruben learned his lesson by this point. I didn't go into it last week. We just didn't have enough time. That's the portions. But, you know, Ruben went and he uh, bedded with, um, was it Bilhah? Uh, his, uh, his, uh, he was, of course, the son of Leah. And so he bedded with um, one of, uh, after Rachel died, he bedded with one of his, uh, his other women. And uh, really, I think, really learned his lesson. He really repented of that for the rest of his life. Uh, his father could never lay with that woman again. He corrupted her. And so now he's like, I don't want to cause more destruction in this family. I don't want to be the guy that does it. You know, I can kind of redeem myself here. So he's kind of trying to work his brothers into, you know, convincing them to throw them into a pit with the full intent of pulling them out when they're not looking and returning them to his father. Now, the question should be asked, why is there a dry will? Now, Pamela put in here the place of two wells. It seems that there doesn't seem, when you look at this, there doesn't appear to be any wells with water. And so now you can begin to understand the evil reports. Yosef could have gone there and looked around and gone back to the father and go, yeah, they left Shechem and they went to this place where there's no water. They're not adequately taking care of your sheep. And that should be the other point that, well, the other thing to point out is that we went through the last couple of weeks wherever Yaakov went. Remember Yitzhak, okay, let's back up. Abraham dies, and immediately the Canaanites, they start filling in his wells. I just did a whole video on this. They start filling in his wells. So Yitzhak goes and digs them up again. And people, they, they go and argue, and there's just strife over the wells. And then with Yaakov, it's the same thing with him. The whole time that he was back with Laban, the wells, they bubbled over and they overflowed. And so this, this idea of spiritual health through the water. And how uh, people who don't want to be in a covenant with Yahuwah, how the waters dry up, right? And this is all leads us to Yahushua Mashiach. He's the living waters, all this kind of stuff. So 
now we're in a situation where you have the uh, 10 brothers who uh, are not with the living water. They are at a well that is not bubbling up. There's no water in this. Uh, therefore, when Yosef was come to his brothers, they stripped the tunic which was on him, the tunic that extended to his wrist and ankles, and took him and flung him into the empty well with no water in it. Not only did this water have no water in it, well, you'll see what's in it. It's pretty bad. Let me uh, read the next Jasher portion. Then they turned to eat bread. Which reminds me, I'm going to take a drink of coffee here. But looking up, they saw at a distance, uh, this would be uh, the, the children of Yishmael, Yashmei Alayam, coming from Gilead with their camels loaded with spices and nuts and balm, who were going down to Mitraim. It's kind of a nice little detail there that <laughs> they're throwing their brother into a dry pit and they take notice of the spices and the nuts and the balm on the camels. Then, uh, Yehuda said to his brothers, what profit is it to us to murder our brother and dabble ourselves with his blood? Now you got two brothers that are going in the right direction. They're going in a better direction. Uh, Reuben went in the even better direction, but you know, Yehuda is kind of in the ballpark. Come on, let us sell him to these uh, Yishmei, uh, Yishmaelites or Yishmei Al Alayam. And that guilt will not be upon us, for he is our brother and our own flesh. So yeah, just summon slavery, uh, Yehuda. And of course, this would be turned back on Yehuda in later years, I believe. So they listened to their brother. Meantime, those um, uh, Midianite merchants came on. So th this can be a little confusing, but they see these, these children of Yishmael on their way to Egypt, way out there. And they're talking about them, but as they're talking about, before the, the Ishmaelites are able to approach, these Midianites come up. Who are the Midianites? Well, uh, Abraham, after the death of Shalaha, after the death of uh, Sarah, he marries, um, uh, man, I just had in my head too, like 30 seconds ago, whatever, we'll get there. He marries uh, the, the daughter of um, Abimelech, Keturah is her name. Oh, when you're live and you don't have notes in front of you. He marries Keturah, and one of their sons is Midian. And, of course, we know that uh, Moshe marries a daughter of a priest of Midian. And so these are Midianites that are coming up. These uh, Midianite merchants came on. So they, in both cases, this, these are all family. These are all cousins. Like, they all, like, they all, like, should know each other, really. Uh, talk about, like, an awkward family gathering. And they approached. So they lifted up Yosef from out of the well and sold Yosef to uh, to the uh, Yishmaelites, uh, Yishmael Alayam, which is interesting that they brought the Midianites here. And they don't, you know, uh, for 20 pieces of silver. Thus, Yosef was taken down to Midrim. And of course, uh, Yasha will go into more detail on that situation. Therefore, when Reuben returned to the well, so he wasn't there then, uh, or else he would have stopped it, I think. He did not find Yosef in the well, so he tore his garments. When he went back to his brothers, he said, The lad is not, and mourning I shall grieve and die of grief. They, however, took and slaughtered a goat kid and dabbled his tunic in blood, sent the long tunic back to their father with this message. About this tunic which we sent you, send back and say, If it is the 
tunic of your son or not. It's really interesting too, like you see just like on a, like a subconscious level, their they're total disdain for that tunic, right? Like their disdain for their brother is kind of like in that the tunic are kind of like, I, you know, married to each other. And he replied, it is the tunic of my son. Some wild beast has torn and eaten my son. Yaakov consequently tore his garments and put on sackcloth for his death and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to console him. That's all this stuff. I, I, I shouldn't even laugh. Yeah, all his sons console him for the death of his son. But he refused their consolations and said, I know that I shall go mourning for my son to the grave. So he wept for his son. And so now, you know, his sons are sitting around going, oh, great. Now he's going to mourn for him. I'm like, you're supposed to mourn for like seven days. So now he's, you know, we can make it through like the next week of the morning and move on with our life. But great. Now, you know, now we got to keep this lie going for the rest of his life. But the uh, Midianites sold him in Mitreim to, uh, well, that would be Potiphar, Potiphar but Fa'uateapar, uh, the general of Pharaoh, commander of his guards. All right. So let's see what Yashar has to say here. And the sons of Yaakov went one day to feed their father's flocks in Shechem, where they were still herdsmen in those days. And while the sons of Yaakov were that day feeding in Shechem, they played, and the time of gathering the cattle was passed, and they could not yet arrive. So again, so we see right here that they were not on curfew, right? Like they, you, when it comes to shepherding and cattle, I remember um, when I was a teenager, I spent a summer in Kenya, out in the middle of the Rift Valley, and you would see the Maasai, the little uh, shepherd boys. They would be like. 10, 11, 12, 13. I mean, they, I was 16 at the time. They were younger than me. And these, like, were little killers. I mean, you know, they really did face, like, lions and, you know, all sorts of, you know, hyenas, all sorts of creatures out there. And they, they would take them out through the day. But when it's, you know, sunset, you get them in their pens, right? You bring them back. So I'm thinking this, the, the cattle, the, the sheep, whatever it was, they were not where they were supposed to be. And so the dad has good concern, like maybe something's going to happen. And then look what he says next. And Yaakov saw that his sons were delayed in Shechem, right? So he's thinking Shechem. He remembers what happened in Shechem. And Yaakov said within himself, peradventure, the people of Shechem have risen up to fight against them. Therefore, they have delayed coming this day. And why wouldn't he think that? I mean, it just, it's been one thing after the next. He's just like, he's like, walking on eggshells here in Canaan. He knows he's supposed to inherit this land. He is not on good terms with anybody there. And all he ever hears is how people are trying to wipe out his family, right? So um, he's sending his son in, Yosef, to check out the scene. And Yaakov called Yosef, his son, and commanded him, saying, Behold, thy brethren are feeding in Shechem this day, and behold, they have not yet come back. Go now, therefore, and see what where they are, and bring me word back concerning the welfare, welfare of thy brethren and the welfare of the and Yaakov sent his son Yosef to the valley of Hebron. And Yosef came for his brothers to Shechem and could not find them. And Yosef went about the field, which was near Shechem, to see where his brothers had turned. And I'm I'm guessing this is the same field that um, he saw that Yaakov actually purchased. So unless he sold it, I'm assuming this is still his field. 
and he missed his road in the wilderness and knew not which way he should go. Now, this is really interesting here. And an angel of Yahuwah found him wandering toward the field. And Yosef said to the angel of Yahuwah, seek my brethren, as they'll not heard where they are feeding. And the angel of Yahuwah said to Yosef, I saw thy brethren feeding here, and I heard them say they would go to feed in Dothan, facing the two wells. Now, um, Yasher adds this detail about the angel of Yahuwah. And I know how this goes, because especially when you're in Torah circles, you know, uh, people who read the Torah are very well versed in the actual Bible, the Bible itself, more than, you know, more than most, right? And so there, there's always that one person, you know, you're, you're at the, the Torah party and you're eating hors d'oeuvres. And of course, you're not going to have the shrimp hors d'oeuvres, right? You're having like hummus and waffle and that kind of stuff and, uh, and pita bread. And you're sitting around talking. There's always that one person in the room that says, well, angel really means messenger. It doesn't actually mean a celestial being. And I've had conversations with enough of them where it's like every single time it's his angel. It's, it's, it's no, it's, it's a man. It's just a, just a human messenger every single time. And I'm like, really? Like every single time? Because when you read the LXX, like the word is like angelos in the Greek. And so are you telling me now that like, you're like an angel agnostic, right? You're, you're totally agnostic angel. You're telling me that at the tomb of Mashiach, that those were two men who rolled back the stone and were sitting there because now we've got problems because if those were not angels from heaven, um, now we got problems because now we're back on the theory of someone stole his body, a human came in and stole his body. Was it what Peter and John sitting out there, you know, that scared the women when they came up, you know, scared the troops, all that kind of stuff. All that to say, in this situation, in the argument that an angel can be a human messenger, just a messenger of Yahuwah, I could totally see this being some dude like. But, like, not an angel. Just a, like, maybe it is not an angel standing out there in the field. Um, that being said, though, this is still the, uh, Yasher's placing importance on this. It's not some random dude. It's not some random stranger came out there. Like, it, it, it's making out like this angel, like, Yosef had a divine appointment. And the, the angel knew it. He is working for Yahuwah, and he's there to re-guide him to his brothers, knowing what's going to happen. You, you, that's what I love about this here in the actual. They're, they're, they're painting it in, in this way that it's not a coincidence. All right. And Yosef hearkened to the voice of the angel of Yahuwah, and he went to his brother in Dothan, and he found them in Dothan feeding the flock. And Yosef advanced to his brethren, and before he had come nigh unto them, they had resolved to slay him, and we already saw that. Um, I don't know if I want to read all this again. Oh, okay. So, and when Yosef came to his brother and he sat before them and they rose up upon him and seized him and smote him to the earth and stripped the coat of many colors, which he had on. And so we know about the dry pit, right? Well, they took him and cast him into a pit. And in the pit, there was no water, you know that, but serpents and scorpions. So we have just taken this spiritual, um, uh, depravity, like this moral depravity, the spiritual uh, depravity to new levels now. Because now not only are they feeding their sheep in a place with no water, but there are serpent and scorpions that they, you know, throw their brother into. So, like, how could the situation be made any worse? And Yosef was afraid of the serpents and scorpions that were in the pit. And Yosef cried out with a loud voice, uh, 
And Yahuwah hid the serpents and scorpions in the sides of the pit, and they did no harm unto Joseph. And we're going to see this, like we keep reading through Jasher, that like all these things happen to Yosef, and it's you get the sense that Yahuwah is purposely allowing it to happen and then removing the situation, like uh, the, the serpents and the scorpions. Or so later on, uh, the, the uh, Ishmaelites and the Midianites, I'm not sure which at this point, their, their hands wither. And then some praise and their hands restored. And Yahuwah has taken them through the situation to say, look, you're going to go through some really hard times, but I'm going to be there for you. It's all in my plan. I'm going to take care of you. So I think this was really important that he's thrown in the pit. He's scared of them and he sees them leave when he cries out. That would, you know, that would give kind of anyone a, a boost of confidence, even though he's very emotional. And Yosef called out from the pit to his brethren and said unto them, What have I done unto you? And in what have I sinned? Why do you not fear Yahuwah concerning me? Ouch. And am I not your bones and flesh? And is not Yaakov your father and my father? Why do you do this thing unto me this day? And how will you be able to look up to our father Yaakov? If that's not a Matthew 18, then I don't know what it is. And uh, if they don't listen to him, then go back and report it to his father. This is He's not given a chance. And he continued to cry out and call into his brethren from the pit. And he said, Oh, uh, Yehuda, Simeon, and Levi, my brethren, lift me up from the place of darkness which you have placed me, and come this day to have compassion on me, ye children of Yahuwah, and sons of Yahuwah, my father. And if I have sinned unto you, are you not the sons of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? If they saw an orphan, they had compassion over him. Or one that was hungry, they gave him bread to eat. Or one that was thirsty, they gave him water to drink. Or one that was naked, they covered him with garments. And of course, you see what he's saying right here. All these things are very, very, very important to Messiah. We're going to see that ultimately Yosef had that same heart. And his brothers were failing in every way, shape, or form here. I don't even need to uh, reiterate that. And how then will you withhold your pity from your brother? For I am of your flesh and bones. And if I have sinned unto you, surely you will do this on account of my father. He's like, look, even if you despise me, fine. I get it. You don't have to like me. For the sake of our father, don't do this. And he also spoke these words from the pit, and his brother did not listen to him, nor incline their ears to the words of Yosef. Yosef was crying and weeping in the pit. It's, it's kind of like uh, they had already made up their mind what they were going to do. Even though they knew they were wrong, they knew they were doing an evil thing. That's why they couldn't listen to him. Uh, to be common sense. And Yosef said, "Oh, that my father knew this day the act which my brothers have done unto me, and the words which they have this day spoken unto me." And all his brethren heard his cries and weeping in the pit. And his brother went to remove themselves from the pit, so that they might not hear the cries and Yosef, uh, of Yosef and his weeping in the pit. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so now we see the, uh, let's see, they're sitting around, they're eating, and they're holding the council when they lifted up their eyes, verse 2, and saw him. Behold, there was a company of Ishmaelites coming at a distance by the road of Gilead going down to the tree. And Yehuda said unto them, what, what gain will it be us uh, if we slay our brother? brother? Peradventure, Allah will require him from us. This then is the council proposed concerning, we know he tries to summon the slavery. 
Uh, let's skip to verse five here for lack of time. I found this really interesting. Uh, and while they were discoursing about this matter, what to do with Joseph, before the company of Ishmaelites had come to them, uh, seven trading men of Midian passed by them. So they must be, like, I don't know if they're at a crossroads. Like, they're looking, I'm trying to imagine this. Like, they're looking way down this road. Like, they're maybe they have a good vantage point. Maybe the Ishmaelites uh, are like two or three miles away. I don't know how far they're a good distance away. They could see the, the, the dust right kind of kicking up and caravan coming. And all of a sudden, boom, these Midianites show up. Maybe they, they, you know, they come from another angle. And as they passed, they were thirsty. And so there's this is kind of the interesting part. They see these people out there, these shepherds with cattle, sheep, whatever they had, this flock, and they're like, okay, well, they must have water, right? They're at a well. And so uh, they completely, of course, misjudged the character, right? They were thirsty, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the pit in which Yosef was immured. What a fun word is that, immured. And they looked, and behold, every species of bird was upon him. And um, I don't know what to make of that. That's kind of interesting, because all the, the, according to Yasher, the, the scorpions and the serpents left. I don't know if this is like a vision they see. I don't know why there's always birds on Yosef. We never hear about it again, to my understanding. Uh, and these many nights ran to the pit to drink water, for they thought that it contained water. Well, they thought wrong. And on coming before the pit, they heard the voice of Yosef crying and weeping in the pit. And they looked down into the pit and they saw, and behold, there was a youth of comedy appearance and well favored. So it's kind of weird. It's like they repeat it. Like they they see Yosef in the pit, and he's covered in birds, but then they run up to the pit and then they see him and there's no birds. So I find those two senses a little uh, strange right there. And what's really going on? But let's not focus on birds. And they called unto him and said, Who art thou? And who brought thee hither? And who placed thee in this pit in the wilderness? And they all assisted to raise up Yosef. And they drew him out and brought him up from the pit and took him and went away on their journey and passed by his brethren. Uh, remember now, the brethren had removed themselves at this point because they could no longer hear uh, his crime. They couldn't, you know, uh, they just couldn't deal with the, the morale or the immorality of what they were doing. And these said unto them, why do you do this to take our servant from us and go away? Surely we place this youth in the pit because he rebelled against us. And you come and bring him up and lead him away. Now they give us back our servant. Um, okay, they argue. And then, of course, um, and then we know what the sons of Yaakov are going to say here, verse 11. And all the sons of Yaakov approached them and rose up to them and said unto them, Give us back our servant, and why will you all die by the edge of the sword? So they just really dropped the challenge there. They're like, do you know who we are? We're the dudes who went around and killed everybody. And the Midianites cried out against them, and they drew their swords. So the Midianites don't know who they are yet. They're like, it's about to go down. And they approached the fight with the sons of Yaakov. And behold, Simeon rose up from his seat against them and sprang upon the ground and drew his sword and approached the Midianites, and he gave a terrible shot before them. So that his shouting was heard at a distance, and there was Simeon's shouting. And the Midianites were terrified on account of Simeon and the noise of the shouting. And they fell upon their faces and were excessively alarmed. And this is where he announces himself. And Simeon said unto them, Verily, I am Simeon, the son of Yaakov, the Hebrew, who have only with my brother destroyed the city of Shechem and the cities of the Amorites. So they would have, of course, these, uh, these Midianites would have totally known this. It would have been like, oops, yeah, you're those people. Forgive us. We didn't know. 
so shall Allah Hayam forever do unto me that if all your brethren, the people of Midian, and also the kings of Canaan were to come with you, they could not fight against me. Now therefore give us back the youth whom you have taken, lest I give your flesh to the birds of the skies and the beasts of the earth. That's kind of interesting because that's a line that Goliath later said to David. Um, there's also a lot of smack talk in this book. Man, those, those brothers got together. It was just, it was like before a wrestling match. I mean, they just, <laughs> they laid down the smack talk. Uh, I don't know why I've got this uh, itch tonight. And the Midianites were more afraid of Simeon, and they approached the sons of Yaakov with terror and fright and with pathetic words, saying, Surely you have said that the young man is your servant, and that he rebelled against you, and therefore you placed him in the pit. When then will you do what then will you do with the servant who rebels against his master? Now therefore sell him unto us, and we will give you all that you require for him. And Yahuwah was pleased to do this in order that the sons of Yaakov should not slay their brother. And the Midianites, and as I pointed out, these are the sons of Abraham and Keturah, saw that Yosef was of calmly appearance and well favored. They desired him in their hearts and were urgent to purchase him from his brethren. I don't actually know. I had some amazing thought in my mind when I highlighted all that. Um, well, yeah. Um, he was a good, well, we'll see tonight. He was, he was good looking. Um, that's not what I wanted to say, but I'll try to sound a little bit intelligent right there. I honestly don't know why I highlighted that. And I'll probably think about it later after I, I'm no longer alive. I'm like, oh, man. And the sons of Yaakov hearkened to the Midianites, and they sold their brother Yosef to them for 20 pieces of silver. And Reuben, and Reuben, their brother, was not with them. And the Midianites took Yosef and continued their journey to Gilead. Now, we see here that the Midianites are like, what have we done? They start talking about it. And so they decide that, uh, so verse 23, they, the Midianites are realizing they've made a mistake. And they think that now... They, they feel like there's something about Yosef that the, the the brothers, they don't know that he's their brothers, that they lie to him. They kind of figure that out. And so they see the Ishmaelites coming to like, let's, you know, let's sell them to them. They do exactly for 20 pieces of silver. So like there's no blood on their hands. They just, it's a trade. Just like we pay 20 pieces of silver. We're not looking for profit. You guys give us 20 pieces. They did. He went on his way. And this goes on and on and on. Now, this is an interesting part here. Um, let's see. And what uh, verse 27 here. So now he's with the Ishmaelites are on their way out to Egypt. And one of the Ishmaelites rose up. And that's why he said that in the Genesis account it was kind of interesting because it it, it, it didn't have that transfer. Like it, it said they saw the Ishmaelites coming. Then the Midianites were there. And then he was sold to the Ishmaelites. Right. And but you kind of see the transfer here a little bit better. And one of the Ishmaelites, wrote, okay, so he's, Yosef, it says that Yosef is crying. I mean, he is weeping, and they're like, okay, fine, you got to get, you can't be on a camel now, you got to walk. We don't even want to hear this. Now he's crying more, and he's like, and he said, oh, my father, my father. So one of the Ishmaelites rose up and smote Yosef upon the cheek, and still he continued to weep. And Yosef was fatigued in the road and was able to proceed on account of the bitterness of his soul. Um, he's probably been walking quite a long time now. Now, if, if these Ishmaelites are all on camels, right, and you're going now on the road through the deserts, uh, and the only guy that we know is walking is a young boy, uh, Yosef, who's been through a terrible ordeal. 
he's probably getting, you know, kind of drugged behind the camel and everything. So, uh, and they all smoke him. So now they're all like just slapping the boy silly, saying, you know, keep up with this, stop crying, we're tired of hearing it. You know, we'll give you something to cry about, right? And they all smoked him and afflicted him road, and they terrified him in order that he might cease from weeping. And Yahuwah saw the ambition of Yusuf and his trouble, and Yahuwah brought down upon those men darkness and confusion, and the hand of everyone that smote him became withered. All right, so um, you see Yahuwah here. Basically, he's, he's in a way, he's like telling Yosef, like, look, I got your back. Yeah, there's bad things that can happen to you, but I'm taking account of everything. Whatever people do to you, like, if, if you just stay true to me, like, I, I got your back. But this is really interesting, too. Um, we'll get to that in a second. And they said to each other, what is this thing that Alayam has done to us in the road? And they knew not that this fulfilled them on account of Yosef. And then, so they don't get it. They, they're not making the connection. And the men proceeded on the road, and they passed along the road of Ephrath, where Rachel was buried. Right? So they're past Bethlehem now. And Yosef reached his mother's grave, and Yosef hastened and ran to his mother's grave. So he somehow, he broke away from them. Um, he's like a slave on the run. Uh, we don't know how far he ran, but it was within sight. And he fell upon the grave and wept. And the, the Ishmaelites were like, oh, okay, this, this guy is just, this guy's a hot mess, right? And Yosef cried aloud upon his mother's grave. And he said, oh, my mother, my mother, oh, thou who did give me birth, awake now and rise and see thy son, how he has been sold for a slave, no one to pity him. Oh, rise and see thy son. Weep with me on account of my troubles and see the heart of my brethren. Arouse, my mother. Arouse, awake from thy sleep for me. Direct thy battles against my brethren. Oh, how they have, have they stripped me of my coats and sold me already twice for a slave and separated me from my father and there is no one to pity me. Arouse and lay cause against them before Allah Hayyam and see whom Allah Hayyam will justify the judgment and whom he will condemn. Rise, oh my, so he's like, you know, calling on a trial here, right? With the most high. Rise, oh my mother, rise, awake from thy sleep and see my father have with me this day and comfort him and ease his heart. And Yosef continued to speak these words and Yosef cried aloud and wept bitterly upon his mother's grave and he ceased speaking and from bitterness of heart he became still as a stone upon the grave. And here's the, here's the part that really tripped me up the first time I ever read this. And Yosef heard a voice speaking to him from beneath the ground. Can you, can you imagine that situation? Like, you know, you're on, like, you know, you're going to the, the, the grave of your mother, right? She's buried there physically and you're just weeping and you're there and I mean, he's not exactly hearing like a heartbeat, like thump, 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 right? You know, it's not like a hand's coming out, like in a horror film. But that's not exactly what you expect to hear. Uh, but he did. I mean, he apparently this was his prayer that she come. Uh, what was his exact words? Um, uh, let's see. And um, yeah, rise, awake from thy sleep. And that's the whole idea that, you know, when you're in Sheol, uh, they would be asleep. You guys know that. Uh, okay, and he heard a voice from the ground which answered him with bitterness of heart and with a voice of weeping and praying in these words. Quickly state that there are, that I know of, there's only two instances in scripture. Yeah, I'm throwing this in scripture. 
where we see somebody actually awaken from their sleep in Sheol uh, miraculously to speak to the world of the living. Now, the other instance would be, instance would be Samuel with the witch of Endor. In that case, uh, it appears he actually, his Ruach actually comes up to the earth. In this instance, um, you don't get a sense that Rachel ever left Sheol. She's still in Sheol, but she has woken up and is speaking in Sheol. And somehow there is a like a supernatural transfer from her resting place in Sheol, wherever that is in the earth, to her actual place of burial. And I, I think that this fits very well with the uh, Hebrew idea of the need to actually bury somebody um, in a physical location. There are other instances, um, in the, I guess in the Aramaic Targum, where uh, Adam and um, and uh, Eve also uh, their voices uh, rang out from the tomb about the time Abraham and uh, maybe when Sharaha was buried. I might have read that several weeks ago. I'm not really sure. But my son, my son Yosef, I have heard the voices of thy weeping, the voice of thy lamentation. I have seen thy tears. I know thy troubles, my son, and it grieves me for thy sake. And abundant grief is added to my grief. Now, therefore, my son, Yosef, my son, hope to Yahweh and wait for him and do not fear. For Yahweh is with thee. He will deliver thee from all trouble. Rise, my son, go down into Egypt with thy masters and do not fear. For Yahweh is with thee, my son. And she continued to speak like unto these words to Yosef. And she was still. I, I find this actually really beautiful because here she is literally in Sheol. And remember now a couple weeks ago. Rachel still had idols with her. We we saw where like after all these years, they were married for like, you know, 14 years by this point or however long. She and Leah, they're still coming back with idols. They agreed to go back with Jacob, their husband, and and follow his Elohim, his Elohim, Yahuwah. They had different ones in Babylon. Uh, now we have seen Rachel make a complete journey. And here she is in death itself, in the valley of death. And she's like, look, just trust in Yahuwah. He will be with you. He will take total control, uh, total care of you. I think that's just that contrast right there of someone speaking from death itself. It's, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Now, we see right here uh, a reference to this in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 15 through 16. This says, Yahuwah, voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, Refuse to be comforted for her children because they were not. So people can argue against Joshua and say, oh, no, that's, that could never happen. Well, according to Jeremiah, it, it did happen. I don't think this is a Serbi hallmark metaphor or whatever. Like this is, Jeremiah uh, was referring to this amazing voice that was heard in Bethlehem that Rachel was literally weeping for her children. She's always dead, and they could hear her voice. So it's like, well, when did that happen? Thus says Yahuwah, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith Yahuwah, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. The context there is that uh, they're about to be taken out. Um, Yermiyahu is speaking about Babylon coming in, and so Rachel is literally weeping for her children being taken away. Um, just as it is with Yosef, she's weeping that her child is being taken out. You know, to uh, to Benjamin. Of course, you guys all know this passage here from 
Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, 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 Yahoo, 218. In Rama, was there a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning? Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Of course, this is the incident when uh, Herod, the Edomites, is going around and massacring the children, age two and under, hoping to uh, reverse engineer the, the serpent's prophecy of crushing the serpent. And Yosef heard this, and he wondered greatly at this. And he continued to weep. And after this, one of the Ishmaelites observed him crying and weeping upon the grave. And his anger was kindled against him. He drove him from there. He smote him, and he cursed him. And Yosef said unto the men, May I find grace in your sight to take me back to my father's house, and he will give you abundance of riches. And they answered him, saying, Art thou not a slave, and where is thy father? And if thou had a father, thou would not already twice have been sold for a slave for so little value. And their anger was still roused against him, and they continued to smite him and to chastise him. And Yosef wept bitterly. I'm seeing a total, I don't know about you guys, I'm seeing a total mirror here to the crucifixion of Yahushua HaMashiach. You know, he's talk, He's crying out about his father, and they're like, no, where's his father? You know, why doesn't his father come and save him? And, you know, he must not have a father. You know, this kind of stuff, right? And Yahuwah saw Yosef's affliction, and uh, it says, and Lord again smote these men. Oh, maybe, oh, the Lord. So that actually would be a, I, that's why I didn't get corrected. So, it, and Yahuwah again smote these men. I didn't catch that. And chastised them, and Yahuwah caused darkness to envelop them and upon the earth. And the lightning flashed, and the thunder roared, and the earth shook at the voice of the thunder of the mighty men. And they were terrified and knew not where they should go. Reminds me straight out of the, uh, the Gospel of Peter when darkness comes and people are like falling into ditches, they're all like confused. And the beast and camels stood still and they led them, but they would not go. They smote them and they crouched upon the ground. So the animals are, you know, they're like beating the animals at this point, you know, and the camels are just sitting down. And the men said to each other, What is this that Allah, Allah has done to us? What are our transgressions and what are our sins that this thing has thus befallen us? Uh, and one of them answered and said unto them, Perhaps on account of the sin of afflicting the slave has this thing happened this day to us. Now therefore implore him strongly to forgive us, and then we shall know on whose account this evil befalleth us. And if Allah Hayam shall have compassion over us, then we shall know that all this cometh to us on account of the sin of afflicting the slave. And the men did so, and they supplicated Yosef and pressed him to forgive them. And they said, We have sent to thee. Now therefore vouchsafe to request of thy Allah Hayam shall put away his this death from amongst us for we have sent him and this is the and yosef did according to the words and yahuwaha hearkened to yosef and yahuwaha put away the plague which had had afflicted upon those men on account of yosef but remember when um sorry i have this like weird itch it's like it's kind of like this like when people like chop off their legs right you hear about how they have like that itch on their they're like it's not there anymore it's, it's awful um when Yahushua HaMashiach is being hung on the cross, he's praying that the Allahayam, Father, that he uh, forgive them for the transgressions that they're you know, doing right there. And Yosef has just done something very similar. He just prayed that uh, it doesn't, it says he hearts according to the words. He did according to the words. So we don't have his exact words, uh, but it was an intercession. And it says that uh, Yahuwah put away the plague, which he had inflicted upon those men on account of Joseph. And the beast rose up from the ground, and they conducted them, and they went on 
and the raging storm stopped and the earth became tranquilized and the uh, men proceeded on their journey to go down to Egypt and the men knew that, that this evil had befallen them on account of Yusuf. Uh, it also says that they, um, their hands were no longer withered and down for that one. Uh, so they realized that, uh, you know, that he had interceded on their behalf. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, this is great. So for lack of time, I'm going to skip some of this. You can see how Jasher just goes on and on and on. But what happened was is that they uh, returned the coat to their father. And they're like, okay, a wild beast killed your son. Look at this. They dipped the, the, the blood of the goat right in it. And he's like, all right, fine. Uh, Yaakov, he's so furious about this. He wants he wants uh, revenge. And so he says, whatever beast did this to my son, you need to go out and find this, right? So now this is like great, okay? So they got to keep the lie alive, right? So let's see what it says. And his son's dead as their father had commanded them. And they rose up early in the morning and he took his sword and his bow in his hand. And they went forth into the field to hunt the beast. So they've got to go find uh a uh thank you polly <laughs> thank you Polly, for that prayer uh and he he went so they're they're like great we gotta go you know find this beast that that killed our brother and yako was still crying aloud and weeping and walking to and fro in the house smiting his hands together saying yosef my son yosef my son and the sons of yako went into the wilderness to seize the beast Behold, a wolf came toward them, and they seized him and brought him unto their father. They said unto him, This is the first we have found, and we have brought him unto thee as thou did command us, but my son's body we could not find. And Yaakov took the beast from the hands of his son. So they're saying, look, 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 this is the first beast we found. We're not saying he's the one that killed our father. We're just, you know, we couldn't find the brother, but we're delivering him, you know, kind of like the, uh, you know, the scapegoat here. And Yaakov took the beast from the hands of his sons, and he cried out with a loud and weeping voice, holding the beast in his hand. He spoke with a bitter heart unto the beast, Why did you devour my son Yosef? And how did thou have no fear of Allah Hayam of the earth, or of my trouble for my son Yosef? And thou did devour my son for naught, because he committed no violence, and did thereby render me culpable on his account. Therefore, Allah Hayam will require him that is persecuted. This is the part I love. And Yahuwah opened the mouth of the beast in order to comfort Yaakov with its words. And it answered Yaakov and spoke these words unto him. So this is the wolf talk. As Allah Hayam liveth who created us in the earth, and as thy soul liveth, my Adonai, I did not see thy son. Neither did I tear it to pieces. But from a distant land, I also came to seek my son went forth from me this day and i know not whether he be living or dead so this wolf is in the same predicament of yaakov he too is or she i should say probably she she is missing son and i came this day into the field to seek my son and your sons found me and seized me to increase my grief and have this day brought me before thee and i have now spoken all my words to thee and now therefore O son of man i am in thy hands and do unto me this as it may seem good in my sight, but by the life of Allah Hayam who created me, I did not see thy son, nor did I tear him to pieces. Neither has the flesh of man entered my mouth all the days of life. 
see, of course, you know, same thing with Balaam's donkey, right? Balaam's donkey also talks. Uh, and when Yaakov heard the words of the beast, he was greatly astonished, as I would be as well. Though I would imagine if the dog were to talk, that's exactly what a dog would say. It's really interesting, right? How, um, I, I, oh man, I should have put in here where it talks about the, the confusion. The first confusion of tongues that happened was between man and animals. The confusion of tongues uh, in Babel was later. Uh, and so uh, Allah Hayyam removed the, it, that's one of the amazing things about animals. You know, you see animals, they talk to each other. Uh, I did a video this week about how water communicates, right? You know, water actually speaks an actual intelligent language. We see that all throughout the Aramaic Targum and other uh, texts. But uh, the, you see like dogs communicate and birds communicate and all these kind of things. They could hear us. We communicate to them and they listen to what we say and they respond to what, they, what, they, what we say, but they cannot speak to us. And I always found that really fascinating that a dog cannot, they can learn English, they can respond to English, multiple commands. But they can't speak it back, and it's it, in my the only conclusion I can come to is because uh, Allah Hayyam really did cause a confusion where they cannot speak, and so the idea that he could open up their mouth and speak their thoughts, I'm like, yeah, I I totally could see a world where that could uh, where that could happen. And Yaakov was still crying aloud and weeping for Yosef day after day to mourn for son many days. All right, getting back into the Paleo Bereshith 38 1 through 30. I don't know how we're doing on time, uh, but uh, all right, let's just keep trekking through this. About this time, Yehuda was sent down from his brothers. So it's you know really interesting. A lot of people commented about how there's like a break in the story here, and you know Yosef is being sent into slavery, and why are we coming over to Yehuda? Um, and it, it appears to be very prophetic. It appears to be uh, the idea of, you know, Manesha and Ephraim on one end and uh, Yehuda on the other. Uh, anyways, it was sent down from his brothers and went stretch himself down before in uh, uh, Edelamaya, whose name was, uh, she was a local Canaanite. Uh, her name was Cheya Raha, Cheya Raha. While there, he so he is he is making the, the committing the same sin that um, Esau did, and he married local Canaanite women, grieved his parents, um, and that was the command of Abraham that you know Yitzhak not marry a Canaanite. Same thing with Yaakov that he not marry a Canaanite, and now we see Yehuda uh, making the mistake. While there, he observed the daughter of a uh, Canaanite, whose name was uh, Bath Shah-Ui. And he took hold of her and had sexual intercourse with her, and she conceived and bore a son and called his name So I'm sorry, I confused the woman, but that's the Canaanite right there. Then she conceived again and brought forth a son and called his name uh, um, um, She afterwards increased and brought forth a son and called his name Shalaha. Then she ceased to be childbearing. So Quick update, he had three sons with the Canaanite woman. And Yehuda captured a woman for his eldest son, Er. Her name was Thuma, or uh, that's where we get Tamar from. But Er, uh, Yehuda's eldest son, was wicked in the eyes of Yahuwah, the ever living. So Yahuwah destroyed him 
thoroughly. I, I, <laughs> I love that countless transaction. I, I assume by destroying him thoroughly that like he was mortally wounded. And what was that line of that Steve Martin said? Uh, the people out there, he's like, uh, uh, someone said that he was wounded, and I, man, I just it's too late. But whatever, he's he's dead. Right? He's he's dead as a doornail. Uh, Yehuda consequently said to his next son, Al-Anan, uh, Al, uh, intercourse with your brother's woman and perform the yam, your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. We'll be going into this duty here pretty soon. But Anon knew that the offspring would not be his own. Therefore, when he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he ejected on the ground instead of giving seed to what he did was, however, wicked in the eyes of Yahuwah, the ever-living, and therefore he had him executed. <laughs> so <laughs> last time he just destroyed him thoroughly, but this time executed. And then Yehuda said to Thumar, or Tumar, return as a widow to your father's house until Shalaha, my son, grows up. For he reflected, perhaps he may also kill him like his brothers, Therefore, Thumar went and returned to her father's house. The time went on, and Bath Shahiwai, the woman of Yehuda, died, and Yehuda grieved for her and went up with uh, Chaya Raha, his partner, to shear the sheep at uh, Thumanuth. And it was reported to Thumar, or Tamar, that her father in law was going up to Thumanuth to shear his sheep. So she put off her widow's garments and concealed herself in her veil. And went down and sat at the opening by the wells, which are on the road to Thumanuth, for she saw that Shalaka was grown up. He was not given to her as a husband. Yehuda regarded her, and he thought she was a prostitute. For she now learned that reason he yeah, she is veiled. We saw the same thing happen like these veils, I'm telling you. I mean, you gotta check these veils, people. Uh same thing happened to Yaakov when you know he married a veiled yeah, in the dark. Uh, so apparently uh, Yehuda did not let this veil before he proceeded all the way. Get hit in her face. So he turned from the road to her and said, come on, have intercourse with me, for he knew not she was his daughter-in-law. And then, uh, then she asked, what will you give to me if I have intercourse with you? Then he replied, I will send you a kid of the goats or sheep. And she replied, what will you give me as a pledge that you will send them? And he replied, what is the pledge that I shall give you? And she answered, your signet ring, the twisted thread it hangs upon and the stick you have in your hand. So he gave her that and he had intercourse with her and she conceived to him. Then she arose and went and put the veil from off her and dressed herself in her widow's garments. But Yehuda sent the kid of the goats by the hand of his partner, the Eta Amaya, who would receive the pledge from the hand of the woman. And he could not find her. Uh, he therefore inquired of the men of the place, asking, where is the kudasha of the wells by the road? But they replied, there is no kudasha, separated female. But, so Pamela is telling you that means separated female. So he returned to Yehuda and reported, I cannot find her. And the men of the place said, there was no uh, separated female there. Yehuda therefore said, you have taken it to her. Therefore, I cannot be held content by her. For I sent the kid, you could not find her. But three months after, it was a report. So he was never able to pay her. But then, of course, he never got his staff back. 
but three months after it was reported to Yehuda, daughter-in-law Sumar has prostituted herself up, and she is also a child from her fornication. And Yehuda uh, said, bring her, bring her here and burn her. They brought her when she produced the ring and the walking stick uh, and said, by the man that these belong to, I am with child. And she continued to belongs this ring and its motto and this walking stick. Then Yehuda replied and said, you are more virtuous than I, for I did not give you Shalah, my son. He therefore proceeded no further to examine her. When, however, the time for her delivery came, there were twins in her midst, and it happened in her child that one put out his hand. So the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread upon it, its hand, remarking, this came the first. It occurred that he drew back the hand, and his brother was brought forth. Twins, I'll tell you. They did some cra the craziest things. When she said, what? Have you broken? The breach be upon yourself. Therefore she called his name Barats. And afterwards, his brother was born upon his hand with a scarlet thread, so he called his name Zarak. Right, so there's a lot happening here. So let me give you a little bit of commentary on this. Uh, we see here that uh, it says in the Aramaic Targum that she is the, uh, they ask the question, is she not the daughter of a priest that are brought forth and burned? All right, so that's really important there. Um, you know, I'm going to read this whole section because this is actually uh, uh, really important. And it was at the time of three months that she was known to be with child. It was told to Yehuda, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, have committed fornication. She's with child by fornication. And, uh, and Yehuda said, is she not the daughter of a priest? Let her be brought forth and burned. So the answer as to why she had to be burned, I'm going to go more into this, is already answered. Because she's the daughter of a priest. If she were not the daughter of a priest, she would be, she would be killed in another of course, this if anyone read back in high school, whenever the uh, Scarlet Letter, this is that was like a total repeat of this entire scene. I mean, he totally ripped this off. Uh, and let's skip down to verse 26. And Yehuda acknowledged and said, Tamar is innocent because she, of course, she produced the, the signet ring and the staff. Uh, Tamar is innocent. She is with child by name. And the bath coal fell from heaven and said from before me and said from before me is this thing done and let both be delivered from judgment okay so what i want to focus on is a couple things uh the fact that she's the daughter of a priest also the bath call something maybe next year if i go through this again i'll put it like a big stress on the actual staff itself and how that's it appears to be the same staff that later moshe pulled out of uh, uh jethro midian priest uh, garden all right so let's talk first about marrying the brother's wife. So we're going to backtrack a little bit and uh, talk about how uh, each of his children, you know, the descendant of his children, using to take their brother's wife. This comes from, this is, of course, a man in Deuteronomy 25. So when we get into the polygyny, polygyny uh, debate, and people say that it is altogether, it is sin, evil, don't ever do it. Well, that, that that's actually a command in the Torah that there are situations where you are to take uh, an extra wife. Uh, there's nothing here about if the guy's single, he could already have a wife, he's supposed to take another wife. Now, this command right here, I need to also stress, is very, very different than we see the typical polygyny 
where you're just taking on multiple wives and having children with them. This is a very different situation in a special one. And thank y'all that this no longer applies to me uh, because my older brother is married and he has sons. And, um, well, let's just say with my older brother because he has no children. Uh, <laughs> it's up to my older brother to fulfill that duty. Of course, you know, they're not Torah, so I don't have to worry about that either. If a brethren dwell together, okay, so that's the first thing. So it's the idea of, of you are living under your father's roof. You know, this is, of course, very typical in Mediterranean cultures, right? They have, they have like, you go to Italy even this day, and they'll have, you know, three or four levels of a house and all these different generations living in it, all under the same inheritance, all under the same business. So you're, you're married, your brother's married, you're all living, dwelling together, same land with your father. Father hasn't died. He hasn't uh, separated the inheritance yet. That's really important. And one of them died. One of your brothers died, and he has no children. He's married, but he has no children. The wife of the dead shall not marry without uh, without unto a stranger. So, actually, I guess the command here is that the woman uh, is not is supposed to marry in the family. Uh, one of the brothers. Now, you, there's nothing here that says you have to on her i mean you're not gonna like i mean if she's like running and screaming it's like okay fine just run and scream and go marry someone else you know but she's gonna be giving up that whole life that she has right she wants to stay in the family uh but she has no uh no security now she has no husband and she has no inheritance uh no son of her own her husband's brother shall go in into her and take her to, to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her so what's happening here is that the the next brother in line is given the explicit duty of uh, raising a child, a son, not for himself, but for his brother. And, you know, I mean, just the fact of the matter is, I mean, if everyone here, every guy here listening, think about your, um, your, your sister-in-law, right? You all have brothers and they're married. It's like, like, do you really want to marry her? No, you don't. She really doesn't want to marry you either, right? Like, this is explicit. This isn't like a like a pleasure cruise. Like, you're going in there to get a child for your brother. It's because you love your brother and you want your brother to have, and you're now losing some of your inheritance that you're getting, right? You're because you're, you could be thinking in your mind, like, well, my brother's dead. His wife's not getting anything. He's got no child. I'm, I'm good. I'm getting more inheritance now. Now you are forsaking. Some of that extra padding of inheritance and giving it to your dead brother. All right, so you're you're doing it for like family honor. And it should be that the firstborn which she uh, beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, and that his name be not put out of Israel or Yasharel. So it's saying, look, this doesn't have to be an ongoing thing. You know, you're, you're taking her to wife, you're taking care of her uh, for the rest of her life, for the rest of your life. But you know, you just one child. You know, you, you don't have to, you know crazy here you don't have to be you know in spring and have like 12 children just get her a son all right i mean maybe you're gonna get like seven daughters and the eighth will be a son i don't know but it's got to be a son and if the man like not to take his brother's wife and think about that because like that is a very real like what dude wants to take his brother's wife that, that doesn't sound pleasant to me it doesn't sound like, i don't know it just that is like Women might think that that's what men want to do, but most men are be like, oh, man, my father's wife. Like, we don't even get along, you know? Did you see us last uh, together? You know, like, that wasn't... 
It wasn't pleasant. Then let his brother's wife go up to the gate and to the elders and say, my husband's mother refuses to raise up raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. So now a woman is going to the elders of Israel and saying, this man right here will not perform. <laughs> oh, man. I love the Bible. And the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her. I always imagine this is like the scene at the end of Mary Poppins where the father goes in and they like rip off the, the flower and then they like they pull off puddle, petals and stuff back his uh, jacket and take his hat and, you know, beat their fist and put back on his head. That kind of thing. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer his face, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. Really interesting thing with the, the uh, foot there, pulling off his shoe. I've commented on this before. Man, I wish I thought I'd scripture to this. Uh, with the whole Mary Magdalene thing, uh, some of you are like, oh, please don't go into Mary Magdalene again. But, you know, when when she's walking, when she's, washing his feet so to speak it, it, it was a it was a replay of the ruth and boaz scene where uh, she uh, lays down at his feet and it's the idea that uh you know when you're removing the shoe here like he's refusing to be a provider for her right and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed because <laughs> he refused to raise up uh on his duty uh for his brother uh, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. All right. So um, you, you this this is what you see with like, you know, Onan and so on and uh, so forth, that the, the younger brother is refusing to go in. And, and this, by the way, this is testimony to the fact that uh, the Torah predates Sinai. You can't get around some of this stuff. Like people would say, well, this doesn't apply anymore. It's like, well, it applied before Mount Sinai. This, this law, right? This is a lot of people call it your bizarre law. This comes from heaven. This is the law of heaven. And his children, his sons were wicked for not going through with this. Like hundreds of years before Sinai. Um, and, and that's the thing. You know, people, they they interpret this, the Onan sin to be various things. Uh, you know, don't need to say what they are. But it's like if you just use, instead of using your imagination and just come up with these wacky ideas of what he was doing wrong, if you just use the Torah to interpret it, you're like, okay, I see what the sin is, right? Because sin is a transgression of the what? Of the Torah. Not of our imaginations, not of our culture, not of our Catholic guilt. It is a transgression of the Torah specifically. All right. This comes from um, Matthew. Yahoo 22, uh, 23 through 33. You guys all probably know where I'm going with this. That same well, that same day came to him the Sadducees coming to uh, to trick and uh, say that there is no resurrection. Okay, so that's that's the context right here. And asked him. So the, the whole idea is they're asking a question based on the whole argument being off. And and I think people misinterpret Yahushua's this very, very well. And they, you know, they're not taking the context of what he's trying, trying to fix their worldview. And they're saying, Master, Moshe said, man die having no children. His brother shall marry his wife. He just went to this situation. 
in Deuteronomy. He's upseated to his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren. And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, uh, left his wife into his brother. Likewise, the second most, third, all the way into the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Uh, apparently very joke. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall uh, shall she be of the seven? They all had her. You know, they're really going to trip them up here, right? Yahushua answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, not for the power of Allah. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given marriage, but are as angels of Allah in heaven. Now, I that this is one of the most misinterpreted passages of scripture. Like, actually, there, there's a couple with Messiah. One is the quip about, you know, anyone who has looked at a woman blessedly has committed his heart. I think that is one of the most misdiscued passages. You know, uh, for example, people take that and their logic is, well, so a man is supposed to never look at a woman sexually, to be you know sexually aroused. Never, and this includes the woman you're engaged to be married. Like you have to pick up a woman, and not ever be aroused by her, not not to be sexually attracted to her at all. You don't even think about that because that's adultery. You're committing adultery, and finally, when you say your I do's, then you can look at her and go. Hmm, I wonder if I'm sexually attracted to her, right? That's that's the logic where that goes. And it's like the most ridiculous and against nature of the way Al-Hayam created humanity to be. Uh, and the other way is that um, the idea is, is that once you're finally married to that woman, um, now you cannot be attracted to any other women. No, that's adultery. And it's like, no, that's not what he's saying. Because the very fact that you're attracted to your wife tells you that you are attracted to women Okay, and uh, there are there are features of your wife that you find very womanly and very attractive, and that's that's a huge compliment. Like if you're attracted to other women, that's actually a huge compliment to your wife. Maybe women might think of it differently, but it is uh, it, because it's like you know, in this age where we all have pronouns. You know, it's like I need to come up with so, some pronoun for the uh, for the, the people who say that about you. Who should, they're like they're they're like sexual orientation that uh, they're only attracted to their wife and <laughs> and no they're only sexually attracted to their wife and no other women whatsoever but anyway this is another one and what he's specifically saying here for in the resurrection they are they neither marry or nor are given in marriage okay so he says nothing here nothing at all about the people who are already married Keep that in mind. He doesn't say that. And that's where people take this and they run with it and they go, oh, there's no more marriage in heaven. We're all done. It's like he doesn't say it. He says that there will not be given in marriage. Yes, you're not going to be in heaven checking out the babes and go out and marry her. Like that, that is what he's saying. All right. But are as the angels of Allah But as Touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read with spoken unto you by Allah? I'm saying, I am the um, I am the Allah of Abraham, and the Allah of Yitzhak, and the Allah of Yaakov. Allah is not the Allah of the dead, but of the living, right? So he is 
tweaking their view and saying that you know they're they are they're, they never really died in the way that they're thinking right that they they continue pushing on right and so let's go into book of the Nazarene where it addresses the same thing and this is where it gets really interesting because now we have a situation and, and be like well wait a second they have a good point if if a woman marries seven dudes and marriage begins on this earth and continues into the afterlife then is she married to those seven dudes yeah, that doesn't make sense right well this is where it gets in the woman now this is the woman at the well in this story in the book of the, uh, the books of the nazarene and said to Yosha, let me have this water you talked about so I can feed for the necessity for drawing water. You guys all know the story. Yosha said, it would be best if you went and brought your husband, for two may understand better than one. And she answered, but I have no husband. And Yosha said, in this you have at any rate spoken true. For though married five times, you now live with one who is not your husband. Now I'm taking the context here. People have made much of this, but I think that it was one of those things where she was she was passed down through the brothers maybe the last brother died maybe she had no more protector now she's with someone who's not her husband all right so now we got a problem the one who had remained with Yahushua said master i am puzzled this woman had many husbands tell us which one will be her husband in heaven now notice how they're rephrasing it because they're not the, the sadducees they believe in the resurrection his talmud so they're they're phrasing this question in a very different context he doesn't shoot it down and say, oh, you don't understand that marriage ends at death. He doesn't say that. Yahushua said, in heaven, there is neither marriage nor giving in marriage. We know that. For there, the promise of marriage are fulfilled. So what does that mean? To one of the, of the, the five, she was married to probably the brothers, to one she must incline more than towards the others. And if he inclines likewise, there is the union of Ruakoth, or Ruach. You've heard me talk about this a lot, the marriage of Ruakoth. But union to the Ruach can be either weak or strong. Another Talmudim said, what if he who is not her husband? And Yahushua answered him, marriage is not of the flesh, nor made by the words of men. It is of the Ruach, and they who are joined in Ruach and flesh in the sight of Yahuwah, or Yahuwah, let no man seek to lightly put apart. A marriage holy of flesh is communication, though it be blessed by men. All right. Uh, I don't know about you, but that was mind blowing for me. And um, so think about this, like thinking of like a, a, a pre-existence argument. Okay. Remember when uh, Cain killed Abel and Yahuwah comes and he's like, he gives a response. And when you dig into the language, it's translated like many voices have done silence. I was expecting many generations. It's not just Abel you, you murdered. It's the seed of Abel. All the generations of men that were expected to come of him, they're gone now. So what am I, what am I to do? And so the idea of a of a, a woman going, I love my husband. I was attached to him. Our Ruach was attached to God. I love him so much. I want a son with him. So brother, younger brother, you're up. It's your duty now. I want you to give me a son for my husband. That that child will be accredited to my husband. And we get into this whole existence theme of how you know these children are assigned. It's really interesting how it works and how that child really is like was intended to be the husbands. Um, and and so when when she's going through these different men, it's because of 
you know, the, the, the bond she had with him. So that, that's, that's the answer to the question. You know, who's like, what, which one is she most, most attached to, you know? And if he inclines as well, that is, that is the, the binding of the Ruach in eternity. All right. Now going into adultery. Um, and um, the seriousness of adultery. Now, some people may say I'm taking this out of context in terms of adultery. Uh, the fact is, is that adultery is a very serious capital punishment. And not only that, I could pull out uh, other passages where it seems to be eternal punishment. Like adultery is so serious, you commit the deed, you're cut off. Now, I don't want to say that to, to scare anybody. If anyone is out there and you have committed adultery, um, and if you have already worked this out with Yahuwah, if you've already taken this to him and you've finished your heart and so on and so forth, I don't want to, you know, open a can of worms, you know, open up an old one, all right? But if if there is, this is this is more like a, a word of warning for anyone out there who is not going to guard these commands. Adultery is very, very, very serious. Like, even though we don't live in a Torah community, you can you can go commit adultery. No one's going to stone you for it. Um, the stoning of physical people is, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. It's a sign of eternity. All right. It's this is how Allah Hayam feels about adultery. Like, even if you evade it in this life, you're going to get it in the next. But if this thing be true and the tokens of virginity be not found uh, for the damsel, so that the husband is realizing, like, wait a second, in this case, uh, she was not who she said she was, has been with another man, uh, perhaps while they were betrothed, uh, which is the same thing as adultery. Then they shall bring out the damsel to the doors of her father's house, and the men of the, her city shall stone her with stones when that she die. I mean, that I can't imagine having, having to do that, having to stone someone. Uh, but I can tell you right now, if I witnessed something like that, or if I were forced to take part in something like that, that would I would hope that would put this fear of Allah on me, the fear of Yah. Like I don't ever ever want to do something like that, or you know, you know, or hopefully nobody else as well, because she hath uh, wrought folly in Yashiril to play a whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die. All right. So the man too, he it's it's up to him to die too. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall uh, thou put away evil from Yasharel. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed into a husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out into the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them with stones and they die. All right. So this is really serious, right? Now, why was Tamar not stoned to death. Well, because it says so right here in Leviticus 21:9, the daughter of any priest, she profanes herself by playing the harlot. She profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. So that's really interesting right there. So we see the Torah being played out before what? Before the Torah was given. And the locals here, they they all knew the law of heaven. They're like, Yeah, we're not gonna stone her, we're gonna burn her with fire, right? Now, of course, she was feared because um and she was really, you know, I mean, it was, they were probably like, Yehuda, you're, you're gross. You're really messed up. But yeah, she's, uh, she's under your care. So whatever happens in your TP, I guess, whatever. But, uh, so they, they were both spared. Uh, and we see here, Aramaic Targum, and Yehuda took a woman for Er, his firstborn, a daughter of Shem the Great, whose name was Tamar. 
now, I don't believe that she was actually a daughter daughter. And in fact, you see this many times in the language. Like they'll say, he's the son of Nimrod. He's, you know, so on and so forth. It could mean the, the, the son, 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 right? It's not necessarily, like, I don't know if they had words back then for, you know, like language for like great granddaughter or whatever. Uh, but then we see here in Yasher 45, uh, 23, and in those days, Yehuda went to the house of Shem and took Tamar, the daughter of uh, Elam, the son of Shem. So now we see more clarification in Yashar that she is actually the granddaughter of Shem for a wife for his firstborn uh, heir. Now, of course, Shem was a priest. He was a Melchizedek priest. And I'm assuming that Elam was as well. He was also a Melchizedek priest. Um, and so she was the daughter of the priest, which is why she had to be burned. All right. Well, with uh oh wow look i don't know if you guys can see where i'm scrolling i'm only halfway done with this tonight um so <laughs> let's see what we can get accomplished hope you guys enjoy this i'm enjoying going through this we're going to read from the testimony of you and um because this actually really gives more details on the whole situation and after these things my son er took to wife tamar from mesopotamia daughter of aram uh, it's interesting, it says, from Mesopotamia, daughter of Aram. Now, Aaron was wicked, and he was in need concerning Tamar, because she was not of the land of Canaan. Uh, and on the, okay, so basically, okay, so this is where Yehuda is like, he's really trying to, because remember now, he originally married a Canaanite woman, He's trying to correct this down too. He's got Canaanite sons through him. And he's like, okay, look, I, I took a mother that I shouldn't have, uh, but I want to correct this. I want to get the right woman for you. But now the situation is flipped because now his wicked sons are like, well, she's not one of us. You might have done that with our mom, uh, but she's not one of us. We don't, we don't want her. And on the third night, an angel of Yahuwah spoke him. And he had not known her according to the evil craftiness of his mother. So we see the mother coming in, and she's the one advising her sons what not to do, for he did not wish to have children by her. So Yehuda's own wife is like going behind his back and going like, you know, uh, let's spill your seed. Have fun with her, but, you know, don't penetrate. Uh, in the days of the wedding feast, I gave Onan to her in marriage, and he also wickedness knew her not, though he spent with her a year. And when I threatened him, he went in unto her, but he spilled the seed on the ground according to the command of his mother and also died through wickedness. So you see just completely, uh, they're wicked because they are disobeying the Torah. It's a clear command. And I wish to give Sheila also to her, but his mother did not permit it for she wrought evil against Tamar because she was not the daughter of Canaan as she also her, uh, herself was. And I knew that the, it's kind of, it's sad because this, this, wife of Yehuda doesn't get it like like her seed is not going to inherit this land and i knew that the race of the canaanites was wicked the impulse of youth blinded my mind and when i saw her pouring out wine owing to the intoxication of wine i was deceived and took her although my father had not counseled it so he's grieving his father now and while i was away she went and took for sheila a wife from canaan and when I knew what she had done, I cursed her in the anguish of my soul, and she also died through her wickedness together with her sons. So, I, I mean, we, we know she's wicked because of her counsel. I'm not getting a clear picture of there of 
through her wickedness together with her son, what that looked like. But it's probably an ugly picture. And after these, uh, and after these things, while Tamar was a widow, she heard after two years that I was going up to shear my sheep and adorn herself in bridal array and sat in the city and name uh, and name by the gate. All right. Um, well, this is kind of messed up. Uh, why is she dressed up as a bride? Well, for it was a law of the Amorites that she who was about to marry should sit in fornication seven days by the gate. Well, that's lovely. That's a nice way to, oh man, uh, marry a woman that, that you love after all the men have had their, their way with her. Therefore, being drunk with wine, I did not recognize her and her beauty deceived me the fashion of her adorning. So there you go. He was uh, drunk with wine. This is one of his, his problems. Uh, he, he goes on for lack of time. I'm running out of time. Uh, his whole complication with his first wife was over wine and being drunk. And we've learned that after this incident, for the following, I think, 20 years, up until the time that he is reunited with Yosef in Mitchum, he does not drink again. He gives up the drink because of uh, his lifestyle. Uh, this is great here. And now, uh, chapter three of uh, the same book. And now I command you, my children, hearken to Yehuda, your father, and keep my sayings to perform all the ordinances of Yahuwah and to obey the commands of Elohim. People can't argue that it's taken out of context because it's clearly this whole story is you can only have the ordinances of Yahuwah uh, in some way or shape, even if it wasn't in writing uh, at Mount Sinai yet. All right. Let's skip this for lack of time. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the bat back cold and remember i read in the aramaic targum uh i don't know if i need to scroll up here for you guys again and just show that uh let's see here let's find it here it is nope that's not it uh there it is so tamar is about to be burned and the bath coal or the bat coal uh, fell from heaven okay I'm telling you right now it's a dove all right a dove comes down from heaven and this dove this voice the bath coal is, uh, it's actually a voice. It's a voice from heaven and it's a feminine voice. It's a, it's, it's a lady's voice said from before me was this thing done. All right. And let both be delivered from judgment. So basically the bath coal, a feminine voice is saying, I'm the matchmaker. I set this up. We saw the same thing happen with the Ruach HaKadosh with uh, Rivka when she brought Yaakov in. She overheard, um, uh, Yitchak talking with Esau, and she brought her son in to deceive um, uh, Yitchak. All right. Uh, getting back to where we were. The bat coal. The rabbis speak of the bat coal, which means daughter of a voice. You guys have heard me cover this before, but it's always good to go over this really quickly. It is generally manifested as a delivering a divine message proclaiming Elohim's will or judgments. It is sometimes described as an echo. Uh, let's see. Okay, good. And we see here the bat coal is sometimes envisioned, envisaged as a dove. So what, what do you think is happening in the Gospels when we have a dove coming down with a voice from heaven, right? It is by Hebrew tradition, rabbinical tradition, it is the bat coal. Um, we see here, now this is, I'm quoting from the Talmud tonight. Uh, some of you are like, what kind of Bible study is this? But um, Rabbi Elazar said, when the Jewish people accorded precedence to the declaration we will do over we will hear, 
divine, a divine uh, voice, he actually says, Nicole, emerged and said to them, who revealed to my children the secret that the ministering angels use? Uh, so this is a divine, this is actually the context is at Mount Sinai. And this divine voice says, my children, it's a feminine voice, right? So now we're dealing with the mother of Yashramel. Don't worry, I'm not going to do a whole study on this tonight. Uh, but I do love this from the lost gospel of the Hebrews. We see, and it came to pass when Adonai was come up out of the water, the whole fount of the Ruach HaKadosh descended upon him and rested on him. Now, it doesn't say dove here. I think it says in Luke that it was a dove. But uh, that's the back hole. And it said, my son. So now we've got the Ruach HaKadosh saying, my son. So you've got some, uh, you know, got some very early Hebrew Christians totally digging this. My son and all the prophets was I waiting for thee that thou should come and I might rest in thee. For thou art my rest, thou art my first begotten son that reigns forever. I have heard so many people argue over, you know, what does it mean for Yahushua to be the only begotten, the first begotten, all these kind of things. But when you understand, when you bring in the feminine Ruach Kakadesh, the mother of Yashmael to this, you're like, oh, okay, it starts to make sense now. Even so did my mother, this again is from the last gospel of the Hebrews, even so did my mother, the Ruach HaKadosh, take me by one of my hairs and carry me away to on to the great mountain of Tabor. That is where he is transfigured with the, the Holy Spirit. Um, this is, and this is a, um, let's see here. Yeah, I'll skip this. This is from the Odes of Solomon. And uh, you guys know, I, I talked about this two or three years ago. I haven't talked about it much recently, but you see the, the Ruach HaKadosh speaking. And she says, um, uh, however, the perfect virgin stood, who was preaching and summoning and saying, oh, you sons of men, return and you, their daughters, come and leave the ways of that corrupter to approach me. She's talking about the Antichrist. Right? She's talking about this corrupter who comes and uh, was destroying everything. Uh, it said that this corrupter, it said, then he drew to him all those who obeyed him, for he did not appear as the evil one. It's really interesting. Um, and uh, he says, and they who have put me on shall not be falsely accused, but they shall possess incorruption in the new world. And um, there was another line in there. Oh, yeah. And leave the ways of the corrupter and approach me. So it, it, it seems like see something similar here too in Revelation. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, right? That you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. You guys know probably my view that I believe this is the Ruach speaking to her children. And so we see her and they who will put me on, this is the perfect virgin speaking, shall not be falsely accused, but they shall possess incorruption in the new world. Well, what does it mean to put on the Ruach HaKadosh? It's the purple robes that Adam and uh, Eve were dressed in they were divested in the purple robe in which they had been created and of course what's uh crazy about that is that uh this is the same purple colored uh light that Yerusha HaMashiach was a uh, uh ultraviolet light the purple light is something you can't see with the naked eye i mean it's like the highest uh, ultraviolet light that Yerusha HaMashiach, when he entered Sheol, he was in this radiant purple light, right? That's the light of the resurrection right there. That's what we're dressed in, the Ruach HaKadosh. And we see here in Sarak, and in the midst of the church, she shall open his mouth and shall, so she, right? And shall find him with the Ruach of wisdom and 
understanding that shall clothe him with a robe of glory. All right. So it's the Ruach HaKadosh that clothes us of the mother of Yisrael. Let's continue reading. Uh, wow, it is 9.50. Let's see what I can get through tonight. Paleo Bereshia, 39, 1 through 23. Uh, thus, Yosef had been taken down to Mitzrayim and was sold to Potiphar, Pharaoh's general commander of the guards, a uh, Egyptian, Mitzrayim, uh, from the hands of the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. But Yahweh, the ever-living, was with Yosef, uh, and he became a prosperous man and was steward to his master, the Mitrine. For his master saw that Yahuwaha, the ever living, was with him, and that all he did, Yahuwaha prospered it in his hand. Uh, Yosef therefore found favor in his eyes, for he was honest towards him. Consequently, he appointed him chief of his house and entrusted all his possessions to his control, with the result that from when he was appointed over the house and over all that belonged to him, Yahuwaha, the ever living, did Barak, the house, the house of the Matsaraya, of Mitzrayim under the administration of Yosef. He was Barak by Yahuwah, the ever-living, and all his possessions, in the house and in the field, so that all he had increased under the direction of uh, Yosef. Consequently, he made no inquiry what he had except for the bread which he ate. Yosef was also handsome in form and handsome in face. It happened, however, after these events that the woman of his don lifted up her eyes to Yosef and said, lie down with refused and said to his master's woman, my Adon knows not what is in his house and all the all he possesses he has placed in my control. There is no one greater than I in this house and he has withheld nothing from me except yourself because you are his woman. Therefore, I will not commit that great sin and outrage against Allah. So we see a contrast here between the story with Yehuda and their sexual problems and the fact that uh, Yosef is put under the uh, put, uh, he's grilled here, he's put to the test and he passes it phenomenally. Um, however, she solicited Yosef day after day, but he would not listen to her to lie down beside her or be with her. But it happened that one day when he came to her apartment with a message for her, and there were none of the attendees, attendants of the house there in the apartment, that she seized him by his wrapper saying, Lie down with her. But he let his wrapper slip off in her hand and fled away naked. So when she saw that he had left his wrapper in her hand and he had fled naked, she called out to the attendants of her house and said, Behold, he has brought this uh, ya to us to insult us. He came to me to violate me, but I shrieked. Then he left his wrapper beside me and fled naked. So it's kind of interesting how she's like playing the Torah here too, right? So it's it, remember when you're like you're in a city, a man comes to rape you, what do you do? You scream out. So she's like, you know, she's making out like she's being the righteous one, right? Uh, she also laid by the wrapper with her until her Adon came home. She spoke to him about all this matter, saying, There came to me the Abarabia um, uh, slave, whom you brought to us to insult. But when I raised my voice to call out, he abandoned his wrapper near me and fled away naked. And his Adon heard the tale of his woman, she told him concerning. Your servant, according to my statement, that his nostrils flare, his anger burned. Therefore, Yosef's uh, Adam took him and put him to the powerhouse, the prison, the place where the prisoners of the king were imprisoned, and he was confined in the tower house. But Yahuwah, the ever living, was with Yosef and stretched out over him chasad fever, and 
gifted him with gracefulness in the eyes of the commander of the tower house plates in Joseph's hands, the whole of the prisoners in the tower and all that was done there. All right. Um, there's so much I want to get to tonight, and I'm just going to go a little bit over tonight. So, you know, uh, uh, thanks for hanging in there, everyone who's still with me. I really want to read from the Testament of Joseph because it covers this story. Uh is crazy too. This really covers this in uh, a beautiful light. I, mean, I love the Testament of Joseph. The copy of the Testament of Joseph. When he was about to die, he called his son and brother together and said to him, My brethren and my children, the beloved of Yasharel, give myself to your father. I have seen a pilot of envy and death, yet I went not astray. But preserved from the truth of Yahweh. That's what you want to see on your deathbed, right? You want to call your children and be like, Man, I. This life is a test. I want to tell you guys, I, I, I overcame it. I overcame the temptation. I, I lived a life I shunned sin. And I was obedient to my He's my brother and hated me, but he wished to slay me, his brother. But the Elohim of my fathers guarded me. They let me into a pit, and the Most High brought me up again. I was sold into slavery. And Yahweh. Free. I was taken into captivity, and his strong hand secured me. I was set with hunger. Yahweh himself nourished me. I was alone, and Elohim comforted me. I was sick, and Yahweh visited me. I was in prison, and my Elohim showed favor to me. You can see just like the, 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 the heart of Mashiach, right? It bonds, and he released, slandered, and he moved my cause. Literally spoken against by the vitriols envied by my fellow slaves, and he exalted me. This chief captain of Pharaoh entrusted to me his house, and I struggled against a shameless woman, urging me to transgress with her. But the Elohim of Yashro, my father, delivered me from the burning flame. Uh, burning flame, I think, in this instance is the, the consequence. Now, keep in mind. She is the wife of a priest, all right? So the burning flame, right? This should have been, uh, if he was guilty of that, um, she or possibly he, at least eternally, would be thrown into the flame. I was cast into prison. I was beaten. I was mocked. But Yahuwah granted me to find mercy in the sight of the keeper of the prison. For Yahuwah doth not forsake them that fear him, neither in darkness, nor in bonds, nor in tribulations, nor in necessities. For Elohim is not put to shame as a man, nor as the son of man is he afraid, nor as one that is earthborn is he weak or affrighted. But in all those things that he give protection and in diverse ways that comfort, though for a little space he departeth to try the inclination of the soul. Uh, in, ten in ten temptations he showed me approved. And I, I would imagine if I were to analyze this before we go through the ten, uh, ten temptations. Um, Let's just go to the next verse. How often did the Egyptian women threaten me with death? <clears throat> or I should say the woman. I'm sorry, not women. The woman. How often did she give me over to punishment and then call me back and threaten me? And when I was unwilling to company with her, she said to me, Thou shalt be added by me, and all that is in my house, if thou wilt give thyself to me, and thou shalt be as our master. But I remembered the words of my father, and going into my chamber, I wept and prayed. And I fasted in those seven years. So that's incredible that, like, 
he's tempted, he starts weeping. He's tempted, he starts fasting. Incredible character. And I, and I appear to the Mitreims as one living delicately. For they that fast for Elohim's sake receive beauty of face. So isn't that interesting, too, that uh, he's talking about his beautiful face. So this beautiful complexion he had, according to Yosef, is playing out by how he lives a righteous life. Interesting. So it's not just a physical physicality. So all these people are seeing this beauty he has. They want it for themselves, but they don't want righteousness. That's the ongoing thing we see in Scripture. We see with Nimrod, you know, uh, Esau, Esau, Nimrod, all that kind of stuff. They want this inheritance. They want this beautiful inheritance, but they don't want to live the righteous life. And if my Adonai were away from home, I drank no wine. Uh, that's total contrast to Yehuda, who did drink wine and make some mistakes doing it. Nor for three days did I take my food, but I gave it to the poor and sick. Hmm. So he had these rations, giving it to the poor and sick. And I sought, and I sought Yahuwah early, and I went for the Egyptian woman of Memphis, for very unceasingly to trouble me, for also at night she came to me pretense of visiting me and because she had no male child she pretended to regard me as a son so that's the false pretense she's like i'll, I'll be your mother right i'll just you know just want to spend time and cuddle up you know cuddle up on the couch and for a time she embraced me as a son and i knew it not but later she sought to draw me into fornication when i perceived it i sorrowed into death when she had gone out i came to myself and lamented for many days because i recognized her guile and her deceits and I declared unto her the words of Most High, if happily she retreated from her evil lust. Often, therefore, did she flatter me with words as the holy man, and guilefully and her. So she's acting spiritual, right? She's pretending like, you know, she's she's a heavenly woman, and guilefully in her talk praise my chastity before her husband, while desiring to ensnare me when we were that were alone. And that, that's really interesting there too that she's. It's kind of like she's things we talk about, you know, are often to cover our true intent. Um, I don't have time to go into that, give some examples, but it's like you see that it's the opposite, right? Her mind is sexually on him, and so she's publicly praising his chastity when really, you know, that's what she wants herself. Uh, for she wanted me openly chaste and in secret, she said unto me, Fear not, my husband. For he is persuaded concerning thy chastity, for even should one tell him concerning us, he would not believe. Owing to all these things, I lay upon the ground and saw Elohim that Yahuwah would deliver me from her deceits. I, I caught this earlier today. There's another reference right there. He is he is praying to Allah Hayam that Yahuwah deliver him. So right there we see a clear distinction between the father, Allah Hayam, and the son, Yahuwah. When she had prevailed, nothing uh, thereby, she came again to me at the plea of instruction that she might look at the word of Allah Hayam. So now she wants to learn the Torah, is what she says, right? Right, she's got the, she's guiling him, this heavenly talk, priestly talk. And she said unto me, if thou willest that I should leave my idols, lie with me. I will persuade my husband to depart from his idols, and we will walk in the Torah of I. Uh, and I said unto her, Yahuwah willeth not that those who reverence him should be in uncleanness, nor doth he take pleasure in them that commit adultery, but in those that approach him with a pure heart and undefiled lips. But she uh, heed her peace, longing to accomplish her evil desire.
desire. And I gave myself more to fasting and prayer that Yahuwah might deliver me from her. And again, at another time, she said unto me, if thou wilt not commit adultery, I will kill my husband by poison and take thee to be my husband. Well, I guess I guess she gave up the, uh, the voting the Torah, right? I guess we're past that now. She's like, all right, like, like, like none of that was legit. But I only kill my husband for it. That, that's, I actually believe that. Like, that was legitimate there. I therefore, when I heard this woman, my garments and said unto her, Woman, reverence Allah and do not this evil deed, lest thou be destroyed. For know indeed that I will declare this thy device unto all men. She therefore, being afraid, besought that I would not declare this device. And she departed, soothing me with gifts and sending to me every delight of the sons of men. All right. Uh, this goes on and on and on. I could read this all night for lack of time. I'm obviously not going to finish it. Uh, this just, yeah. <laughs> he had it rough, guys. <laughs> he had it rough there with a woman that basically is, it just keeps going on. This woman is like, he's describing him like she's exposed herself. I mean, like she's clothes off for him she he says she exposes her her arms and her legs which you know today is like you know uh but he says that she would expose her breast to him too so he's she's showing him everything and he's trying to look away do his duties i mean he's got it um and then i also have here okay so I'm not, maybe i'll end on this note and we went through the study a couple months ago, and this is directed at women, but here you totally see it reversed with uh, with Yosef. But this is the same, what is expected of women, even though men and women are different, the same thing is expected of men. Right? So it says, if a woman is beautiful and gifted beyond other women, which Yosef was. Uh, okay, let me, let me look at this here. Um, I highlighted this. So Yosef is so beautiful. He's so good looking. It says, all the women of Egypt came to visit Potiphar's wife. And they said unto her, why art thou in this declining state? Because she's getting so sick. I mean, they're, they're like really worried. And her name is Zelika. And she answered them, um, this day it shall be made known to you whence this dispersed brings and what you see me. And she commanded the maidservants to prepare food for all the women. And she made a banquet for all the women ate it. Them. And she gave them knives to peel the citrons to eat them. And she commanded that they should dress in costly garments that should appear before them. And Yosef came before their eyes, and all the women looked on Yosef and could not take their eyes from off him. And they all cut their hands with the knives. They're all looking at Yosef here. They cut their hands with knives that they had in their hands, and all the citrons that were in their hands were filled with blood. So these women, like, he walks in and they're just like, what? And they're still cutting and they're just cutting up their hands. Like, this, this is what this is what Yosef had to deal with, all right? So when you're this, or any of you out there, when you're this good looking, what is some good advice? You know, how do you deal with your good looks? And this goes to both women and men. If a woman is beautiful beyond other women, you can say the same thing. If a man is so handsome, he's gifted beyond all other men, then she has been favored by the divine and entrusted with life's greatest treasures. Therefore, she should not conduct herself as other women, for many men will seek her after her, and she must be discriminated. Her influence on men can be greater than that of other women, so she must always be conscious of respect. So that's what Yosef was, right? He understood that his influence was greater on women than 
other men. And so does it make better men and does it serve the cause of good? The attitude of gifted and beautiful women is of prime interest to those who concern themselves with the spiritual uplifting and advancement of mankind. That's what Yosef was, right? He was all about the spiritual uplifting and advancement of mankind. He wanted to teach her the Torah. She's like, here, teach me the Torah and I'll sleep with you. And he's like, okay, I'll teach you the Torah. Uh, doesn't want me to commit fornication, adultery, or be unclean. So right there, like, let's learn the Torah. She's so like, no, I just killed my husband instead. Uh, unlike the religions that will die, the good religion cannot ignore this aspect. A beautiful woman, if she be good, is proud of being the guardian of such treasure and safeguards it from polluting hands. Right? So she really guards, you know, she's not like, you know, undressing for Yosef, right? She dedicates it to the service of good, which also means the service of mankind. She uses it as a spur and incentive to the upward struggle of man's divinity. She is more modest and reserved than other women. And of course, the same thing with Yosef. It said he would never, he would never look at women. He would look away from them. Like he was, he, it was all about for him. Uh, I, I, it would fit this paragraph perfectly. Uh, and as this increases her desirability even more, because she is so modest, meaning the more modest you are, the more the opposite sex wants you. This, that was the same thing with Yosef. Had. Like, the more he refused her, the more she wanted him. I think if like he had done the deed right away, she would have just expose them, whatever, like this guy, like he's not as valuable, right? She is absolutely discreet and prudent in all her activities. Her devotion to the cause of good need entail no more than the maintenance of strict female standards and decency in the face of overwhelming temptation and being a good wife and mother. All right. Um, I'm going to end it there tonight. There is a little bit more. Well, there's tons of more passages I have. Obviously, I can't get through them all. I hope you guys enjoyed what I did read through. I was hope I hope I was able to expand on the story a little bit more. Um, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to say this for next week because we. Get, I'll just add this a little bit extra next week. All right, adding more to it uh, because we get into the the butler and all that and the dreams and we'll go from there. So um, with that, I'm at my mark. Just went over my mark. Um, thank you everybody for coming here and. Making this a part of your Sabbath celebration. I hope you guys get great rest. Uh, you know, hopefully we all worked hard this week and you worked six days, rest the seventh, right? So uh, enjoy your rest. Spend time with your family, with your wife, your children. Spend time with Allah Hayam, uh, and uh, you know, be grateful for uh, Yahuwah and all He's done for us. And uh, good night, everybody. We'll do this next week. Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. One last time.